Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice, and welcome to Access to Healthcare Network's weekly podcast. Today, we continue with our Your Health series with Dr. Andy Pasternak, one of our favorite guests. Dr. Pasternak is a local primary care physician with Silver Sage Center for Family Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Pasternak. Back again. Excited to be here, as always, Sherry. Yeah, we, these are some great topics. You know, last time we talked about women's health, and this time we're going to talk about men's health. But I realized this weekend that we're doing it just before Father's Day. So this seems like a very appropriate podcast to put out uh, next week. So that, yep, uh, good timing. Listen to and, yes, and um, talk about their health and maybe, maybe even get um, some presence of a of certain tests over Father's Day. I'm not sure that's what every father wants, but <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny, wouldn't it? Oh my goodness. So tell me, tell me, Dr. Pasternak, is it a myth? Because I've always heard that men just don't go to the doctor as frequently as women and they don't pay as much attention to your, to their health. Is that myth or fact? Uh, that's fact. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, we, you know, and I don't know if there's, research behind that but it, it we we certainly see uh a phenomenon where men tend to um downplay their symptoms not worry about their symptoms uh attribute it to other things and so um you know i i always laugh i i have you know when when gentlemen usually come into the office um you know it, it's uh oftentimes it's the the wife or significant other that has uh, encouraged them to come in. And yeah, so we sort of have a running joke that, yeah, if it weren't for, for wives and significant others that, uh, yeah, we'd probably see much more mortality of those men. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about, because it seems like it's really important for for women and, but especially for men to establish themselves with a primary care doc. Isn't that important? Uh, why is it important to establish that relationship? Well, I, I think, you know, and we sort of talked about this when we did, did this with women's health, but I just think it's really important to have someone that you, who at least knows you, um, that, you know, kind of knows your medical history, knows your family history, um, and can sort of quickly address issues if things come up. And, you know, the idea behind having a, uh, a primary care physician is, you know, if, if, a, if a crisis arrives, if something comes up, which it, it, it's medicine, at some point you're going to get sick, and it, sometimes it's mild things, sometimes it's severe things. But it's nice to have someone that you can call who knows you, who knows your history, um, who can quickly address things without sort of having to start from scratch with somebody. Yeah. And and let's talk about the process to pick a primary care doc, because I don't think we discussed that last time. If someone doesn't have one, um how do they go about picking a primary care and what are some of the important factors to keep in mind? Well, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of factors. Obviously one of the big first ones we tell people is check with your insurance plan and see who's on your insurance. Uh, there, you know, there might be some great docs out there, but if they're not on your insurance plan, that's not going to work out. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously proximity, you know, I mean, uh, you know, you want to see a doctor that's going to be convenient for you to go see, uh, so someone who's either, you know, near your work, near where you live, uh, is typically how people do things. And then I think the biggest thing that, that still works is word of mouth, you know, and talk to your friends, family, 
ask them who their physician is. Are they happy with them? Uh, and that's typically, I think, the best way to get answers of, of who um, who's a good person for you, for you to see. Mm-hmm. Is it um, routine or acceptable to make an appointment with the primary care and sort of interview them? Um, it, that depends from office to office. Some offices will do that. Other offices don't. You know, the, kind of the, frankly, the, the problem with that, uh, why we kind of don't do that is it's, it's frankly a time thing and we can't really bill for it. And we have enough people that are, we're trying to see to take care of medical issues um, that it's, it's kind of difficult for me to do that with patients. Uh, like I said, some patients, some offices will do that. You know, another way to do it is if someone hasn't been seen for a while, is to make an appointment to go in and get a physical. And, you know, and that's usually kind of a good first step to kind of go over your medical history and sort of talk about what you need to do. Well, let's get, let's get down to actually what different ages and stages in men need to do with a primary care doc. Let's talk about an 18 year old male. Do they need an annual physical? Uh, you know, at age 18, I do think it's good to get in, get a physical, whether or not that needs to be done every, every year, you know, it probably does not need to be done every year, but I would say every, you know, two to three years, it's kind of good to kind of come in, um, you know, and just kind of, again, you get a relationship with someone, they know you, um, and even at age 18, you know, there's some blood work that things that we want to check, um, and just kind of going over, you know, medical history and trying to identify that there's no, you know, major medical issues that we need to be screening for or identifying at that age, I think is important. And what about the annual test does a man need between 18 and 39? That's sort of the cutoff on some of the testing, isn't it, that you wait until somebody's 40? But what do they need in that time? And how often, if they're feeling well, should they go to see their primary care? Well, again, I mean, if they if someone in that age group is going to come in for a physical, you know, some of the things that we're going to do in that age, um, you know, the biggest things, and, and this is kind of similar to our discussion with women, you know, in that age, a lot of the medical issues that we worry about are um, things related to things like alcohol use or things related to uh, smoking, drug use, um, safety issues, you know, uh, you know, making sure you're wearing a seatbelt and safe driving and, you know, and, and sort of looking at risk-taking behaviors. And then also screening for, uh, you know, screening for certain uh, sexually, tra- uh, sex- sexually transmitted diseases. Um, so, you know, in that age group, we'll have people come in, we'll talk about, uh, we'll also check things like blood pressure, uh, cholesterol, uh, we'll, we do see cholesterol problems in, in, in men that age. So, yeah, there's sort of a battery of things that we typically go through. Um, it's not as much, obviously, as we do with older men. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's still a battery of things that we want to address with, with men that age. Yeah, with women, usually uh, they're going to see a physician over reproductive health. So they they need to make an appointment. But men uh, don't necessarily have to. So I'm sure that they can put it off for quite a few years or at least feel like they can. Yeah, and that's, you know, with women, um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, the importance of pap smears has really been, a, you know, a a way to get women in the door to kind of address some of the other issues. Uh, with men, that's obviously not an issue. But, it, again, it's still important to go over many of the, the health issues that, that can affect them in that age. Well, and blood pressure would be one of them, wouldn't it, as someone even in their 30s? 
uh, because that that's the silent issue. And if they don't get it checked, then they wouldn't know if it was high. Yeah, I would say blood pressure and cholesterol are the two. Uh, you know, we see people who have, uh, you know, we, again, we, we typically think of those as being issues that affect older folks. But for things like blood pressure and cholesterol, we'll see those in, in, in men in their 20s and 30s uh, where they either have really high blood pressure or really high cholesterol, and they don't know it. I mean, you don't have symptoms. Uh, well, oftentimes, you don't have symptoms of either of those things. So, again, it's kind of important to kind of come in and get those things checked. So, so how do you assess someone's risk for future medical problems? Is that about the history in their family? Let's say we're talking about um, heart disease or we're talking about um, Alzheimer's or strokes. When do you start assessing someone's family history as to the potential uh, for someone? Well, uh, that again, I think it, it's, I would say it's a combination of things. It's things like family history. So, you know, if we know that a, you know, someone has a family history of, you know, uh, you know, their dad and their uncle both died of colon cancer at age 45, you know, that's a big clue that there's something genetic going on and we need to screen earlier for colon cancer. So definitely going over family history is a big, big clue. And then also looking at their, uh, you know, uh, things like tobacco use, alcohol use, uh, you know, some of the things that we know can set up people for health-related issues down the line, uh, you know, that's where you kind of assess those things, you know, and then you can say, hey, you know, we need to be a little bit more concerned about X, Y, or Z because of, uh, you know, because you're not exercising, because you're a smoker. So those are some of the things that, that it's good to kind of do even in this younger uh, male population. And when should a male start having testicular exams, both self-exams and also exam by a physician? So for testicular cancer, it's, a, it's, it's one of the more common cancers in men this age. Um, if you look at the guidelines for actually screening for it, there has not been a lot of good evidence that doing, you know, routine self-screening um, is, is actually that helpful for testicular cancer. Um, obviously, when a man comes in for a physical you know, we will check and we'll check the testicles and make sure there's no masses or lumps. Uh, we'll check for, you know, hernias, other issues like that. Uh, but if you look at the this U.S. Present Preventive Services Task Force, which we kind of talked about last time with some of the cancer screening guidelines, really what they found with testicular, with doing testicular self-exam is there's not a lot of good evidence that doing that routinely is going to affect the outcome of, of uh, people are uh, the effect the outcome of men uh, with with testicular cancer. So oftentimes with testicular cancer, what we find is guys just notice there's a lump. You know, they're in the shower, yeah. they're cleaning themselves, and yeah. they're like, there's a lump. So doing it routinely, there's some debate, but most of the time with testicular cancer, it becomes pretty obvious. I didn't realize that it was that common in in young men. It, it, well, it, it's it's not. I would say it's. it's we just don't see a lot of cancers in young men. So of the cancers, it's one of the more common cancers. Now, fortunately, in young men, we don't see a lot of cancer, but it is testicular cancer is actually one of the more, uh, uh, you know, if you look in that 18 to 35 age group, uh, it's, it's more prevalent cancers in that age group. So it's sort of like we don't see a lot of cancers, but when we do, that's one of the ones that really pops up. And testicular cancer, there's there's nothing to talk to somebody about preventative like smoking and lung cancer. 
No, it's it. A lot of it seems to be genetic. Um, you know, I do worry a little bit about. Uh, you know, I, I would say one of the things I do worry about is men who are using some of the anabolic steroids, things like testosterone and some of the mm-hmm. other uh, performance-enhancing steroids. I thought that with Lance Armstrong, that might have contributed to his testicular cancer. Um, or right. if it didn't, if it, if, you know, if it didn't cause the cancer, it may have caused the cancer to become worse. So that, mm-hmm. you know, that that's actually with, uh, yeah, with some of the 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 the, uh, the steroids uh, that are sort of used for performance enhancement. That's one of the areas I do when I when I know athletes or other people using those. That's one of the I tend to use Lance as an example of, uh, you know, this could happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's more um, anabolic steroids is a little more common than most of us lay people realize, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those things that uh, I'm sort of amazed at um, how people uh, get them. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. But it, it is something that we, yeah, it's 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 a quite especially it's a question that we probably should be asking more because a lot of times patients don't like to disclose those. Um, sure. in, their, in their regular medication list. Sure. So, well, let's talk about men from 40 to 64. Things are things get a little more serious past 40. Um, what kind of tests do they need? 40 to 64. Of course, they need their regular checkups, cholesterol, blood pressure, but um, but what else after 40 years old? So uh, uh, it was interesting, uh, Sherry. Right after we talked about women and, and colon cancer screening, uh, literally about four hours uh, after we talked, uh, they came out with some brand new guidelines on colon cancer screening. Mm-hmm. So uh, colon cancer uh, has, has officially gone from age 50 down to 45. Uh, so now when men, you know, we used to tell men 50 was your, you know, uh, you know, it's like changing, it's the 60,000 mile checkup on your car. Well, it's, you know, 45 is now that. So when men come mm-hmm. in at 45, we're going to, we're going to now start talking to them about colon cancer screening. And again, you know, sort of like we talked about with women, you can do that mm-hmm. with uh, what we call a fit test. You can do that with a colonoscopy, uh, cologuard test. Um, so that'll start at 45 for men. Uh, and then at 50 is when we'll have a discussion about prostate cancer screening. Uh, that one's a little bit trickier and more subtle. Um, some of the recommendations are um, uh, some, some of the recommendations regarding uh, PSA screening uh, or, or prostate cancer screening using the PSA test. Again, it's one of these things that there's a lot of debate back and forth of does it actually help, um, you know, or does it actually decrease your chances of dying of prostate cancer? Uh, and I think what I tell men with that is that's where you want to go in and have a discussion about the pros and cons of, P- of prostate cancer screening when you're in for that physical. And again, so much of it is related to family history um, you know, uh, other health issues. Um, and so that's that, but that would, if you're going to do PSA screening, that would start at age 50. And PSA is a blood test, right? Yeah. PSA is a blood test to basically measures a chemical that the prostate releases. There are other things other than cancer that can cause the PSA levels to be elevated. Um, and, but it's, it's of, of the tests that we have for prostate cancer screening, that seems to be the better one. But again, there's a lot of debate about it. Let's, um, what about skin cancer checks? And we should all be looking for 
suspicious areas, but a more sophisticated skin cancer check, does that start after 40? Uh, I start really looking at people 35, 40, that, you know, when they come in, just kind of having an examined, making sure there's no moles that are changing. Um, we do see, you know, especially here in Nevada, we have a lot of sunlight, so we'll see some squamous cell cancers, uh, basal cell cancers, um, uh, you know, so those will, um, you know, but we typically see those as people start getting older. So we'll start checking that from in men in their 40s to 50, you know, 40s to 50s and then uh, going upwards. And what about hepatitis C screening? Is that is that a, a common screening these days? Uh, hepatitis C screening is a good idea. Um, we're uh, definitely recommending that. Um, uh, there was a whole uh, cohort of older folks. Uh, and a lot of the recommendations with hepatitis C screening are to kind of do that once. Um, and then we do that sort of like we talked about with women with HIV screening. To me, hepatitis C screening and HIV screening sometimes go hand in hand. Uh, I think it's good to get it done once, and then, you know, you might need to get it done on a more repeated basis, uh, depending on your risk factors. And what about BMI? That was interesting because, you know, that's always checked when you go in. But there was a recent article that really disputed the value of that test. I I, um, I read the article and kind of left a little confused. Well, so BMI stands for body mass index. And what that is, is it's basically a way of to try to normalize um, weight for height. You know, if you have someone who's five foot tall and someone who's six foot tall, they're going to weigh differently. So this is a way to kind of standardize mm -hmm. that to, to, to look for obesity. Um, it, it's a good rough measure. I mean, it's a good first place to start. Um, you know, typically if someone has a high, high BMI, if their BMI is above 30, um, it's because they're obese. They have excess body fat causing that. But again, BMI, it, it's a starting tool and it's not an absolute. Um, you know, having taken care of a number of athletes, you know, I've seen, you know, uh, you know, you, you look at guys playing, say, middle linebacker and, you know, they might have a BMI of 28, 29, but they have very, very low body fat. So BMI is sort of a good place to start but it's not the be-all, end-all of, of uh, you know, determining if someone's really obese. And what about a couple of things that we usually associate with women, osteoporosis screening and breast cancer screening? Because men do get breast cancer, don't they? Yeah, men do get breast cancer. It's, there, it's much less likely. Uh, but, again, that's one where if there's a family history uh, of, you know, I mean, one of our – typically some of our screening questions are, you know, do you have a male in your family that's had breast cancer? Typically, if there is a male, that's that's pointing to some sort of genetic uh, abnormality um, that could increase people's risk of breast of breast cancer. So we see it. We don't routine routinely screen for it, um, but it is something that you know we we do. You know, we'll, we'll ask men. You know, do you have any breast lumps or lumps or anything like that? Uh, osteoporosis screening we tend not to do as much for. For men, it's it's much less common in men uh, compared to women for a variety of reasons. Uh, but there are some men who come in, you know, if they have issues with, say, uh, you know, uh, low testosterone levels, if they uh, have issues with, say, uh, other medical issues, we, we may still do some osteoporosis.
And what about um, erectile dysfunction? I mean, you'd have to live under a rock not to have heard about that, certainly with the commercials and uh, all of the comments about Viagra. Um, I would imagine that's very difficult for a man to talk about uh, when they come in to have a, a physical. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it's completely understandable. Uh, although I, I try to encourage men to talk about it. Um, but, you know, for a lot of men, it, it is a really difficult, difficult issue for them to talk about. It obviously uh, can affect their relationship with their partners, uh, but it is important to talk about. You know, one of the things that I, again, really try to emphasize to to men, um, you know, we see a lot of companies now that are sort of selling over-the-counter, or not over-the-counter, but it's essentially sort of telemedicine, Viagra, mm-hmm. telemedicine, Levita, yeah. or other things. Yeah. And and I can understand the convenience of that. But I think, you know, one of the things when, when men come in um, with erectile dysfunction, it's fairly easy to assess that and talk about treatment options. And there's a number of treatment options. Um, but I think what's actually even more important is oftentimes there's medical issues going on that can be causing erectile dysfunction. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times with the erectile dysfunction, it's essentially a vascular disease. Uh, it's, there's decreased blood flow. Uh, and so, you know, when men come in with erectile dysfunction, um, we don't want to just give them medication. Oftentimes, you know, we're going to check their blood pressure. And a lot of times I've had mm-hmm. men come in and they have high blood pressure or their cholesterol is really high or they have diabetes is a big, big factor. So I've had men come in with erectile dysfunction and we get some blood work and lo and behold, they're diabetic. So, you know, the, the, the erectile dysfunction itself uh, is pretty straightforward, but I, that's where I really encourage people, go see a local doctor, get a relationship, talk to them and have them do a thorough assessment to make sure that there's nothing else going on. Yeah, that makes sense because um, many times there's another contributing factor that they wouldn't know anything about. Men over 65, I would assume that over 65, it's really important to see your primary care at least once a year, isn't it? Yeah, I would, over 65, definitely, you know, your your risk of medical problems, is, it starts getting higher and higher. So, you know, making sure that, people, that men are up to date on things like colon cancer screening, um, you know, uh, again, having those discussions about prostate cancer screening, uh, and just looking for other issues that tend to uh, affect men over that age, it, it gets more and more important. Well, I think we've covered it all, Dr. Pasternak. Anything else you want to add about men except for the issue of go see your doctor, get established with a primary care physician. That's really, really important, even if you don't go every year, that you have a physician that knows who you are and that you can get an appointment with. Anything else you yeah, want to I, add? No, I, I think that's the main thing. And, and again, I think for men, uh, for whatever reasons, you know, it is sometimes tougher to talk about health-related issues. And, and, and I get as, as a man, I, I've had plenty of instances where I'm like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. And then, you know, fortunately, I have a wife who cares about me who says, that is a big deal. you got to go get that treated. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I do think, you know, once you're in the room with, with your with your physician, really be honest and, and talk to them about some of these issues. Um, you know, and, and, you know, again, things like erectile dysfunction, that's an important thing to talk to your doctor about because it helps us pick up, you know, it can often help us pick up being an indicator of 
some underlying issues that we may not have screened you for, you know, or screened people for before. So, um, yeah, just I, I think uh, th- that's why it's important, you know. And then the other thing that we didn't really touch on is men also need vaccinations just as much as women. Oh so, uh, yes, thank you. Know, so, I forgot yeah, that one. Yep. Yeah. So some of the same vaccinations. Uh, you know, we talked uh, last time about the the vaccination, the HPV vaccine, the Gardasil shot. Uh, for young women that we're using to prevent cervical cancer, we're now using that that same HPV vaccine in men, and it's helping with some of the head and neck cancers. It's helping with venereal warts. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of vaccines also that when people when men come in, it's, it's important to make sure that they're up to date on those. How often does somebody need a tetanus? Uh, tetanus is usually good for 10 years. Uh, if it's been over five years and you get you know, you step on a rusty needle. Oftentimes, we'll give you a booster. And shingles. Is shingles a one-time shot now? Uh, shingles is a two-time. It's a uh, two shots. Uh, it's now down to age 50, um, and it's a two-shot series. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, yeah, it, and again, we're starting to do that for people over the age of 50 now. And what about the pneumonia vaccination? Uh, so pneumonia shot is typically going to be over the age of 65. Uh, again, unless you have some underlying medical issues. So if someone has, you know, really severe lung disease, uh, then oftentimes we'll, uh, we will give them pneumonia shots uh, under the age of 65. And, of course, there's a flu shot annually, and now um, please get your COVID vaccine. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Pasternak. Today we've continued with a your Health Series with Dr. Andy Pasternak, one of our favorite guests. Dr. Pasternak is a local primary care physician with Silver Sage Center for Family Medicine. Uh, thank you for all this valuable information, Dr. Pasternak, and we will, we will be doing another podcast in a couple of weeks, and I think we're going to touch on Alzheimer's and dementia at that time. Sounds great. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. Take care, um, enjoy the summer, and please consider getting the COVID vaccine.